All right, Tan, let's do the show, man. Let me put down my drink. You know, I have to read about our wonderful sponsor, Paisanos. Let me read to the people. So if you use the BOGO deal, buy one, get one free on game day, you can use the code Redskins online or on the app, and you'll buy one. Get- what are you doing? I'm already on top, buddy. Where did the Pete? How do you? Continue. You have to buy one to get one. So if you bought one, where's the? Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> Thank you, Shannon. Shannon's not included in the deal, but the pizza is. Oh, oh yeah. Let's start the show. It's the same cell of my show. Former through your ball game. Number 89. Hustle all the time. Travis on the right. Hot mic on the left. Every single week, it's a lyrical thing. I ain't had no more dance moves in there. You're too tired. Is this Santana singing to us? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I had that thing on iTunes right now. Pronto. Popping. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. The Christmas edition of the Santana Moss Show podcast. Travis Thomas, Santana Moss, and my man, Gus Verrott, former Redskin quarterback, former pro bowler, in here with us, spreading that Christmas cheer. Christmas love, man. <laughs> Gus has the uh, reindeer and the sleigh out. Out back. He's going to deliver gifts after yeah, this yeah. podcast. We're, we're going to take him around. You know, <laughs> I came from up north, so, you know, I can dig brought it. those I can... reindeer down. I had to get through that uh, Bethesda traffic. <laughs> oh, man. So you came the right way then. <laughs> I knew I heard something on the roof, man. I'm like, oh, that's Gus. And so I want to run through all the things Gus has going on because every time I talk to him, I mean, I get exhausted when I'm like, so what do you got going on, Gus? Most people say one or two things and they mm-hmm. move on. Gus Verrott, it takes an hour to get through all the stuff he has going on. I want to ask you about the pro day experience. You got a game, your coaching coming up. I want to ask you about winning profile. Just lay it all out for the people, man. Busy what man. do you have going? Uh, man, I got so much going on. Uh, I got a call this year from Mike Tice. He said, hey, look, the NFLPA called me. They want me to be the head coach for the Collegiate Bowl. Would you be my offensive coordinator? I said, oh. of course, Mike, I'd love to. I got the game plan last week. Been studying that, you know, because you only get so many plays. There's no yeah, motion, right. so it's pretty easy to call the plays. And you got to go off the talent that you're going to get. So when I get out there in January, we get five days with the college players oh. to try and put in the plan, get them working. I think I'm going to put them all, all wristbands on and make it real easy for them. And, cool. you know, the goal Before is, you get too deep, question. So would this kind of lead you into that notion of saying that you may be a coach one day? Ooh. You know. Well, I did try to be in the NFL for two years. You go back to all your yeah. contacts, all the people you met. And the thing is, it's so funny because they say, all right, yeah, I'll help you. What do you need? What do you need? Well, that's why I'm standing in front of you. Yeah, right. I'm asking for a job. You yeah. know, I want to come in and do this thing in the NFL because it's in my blood. Yeah. And, you know, they just say, well, you know, we don't have the room right now or I already got yeah. my staff put together. Sure. And, and it's always something or other. And I just had enough of it. And then Mike called and said, let's get you out there. And I said, all right, we'll do we'll try oh. one more time. But, you know, the NFL football's in my blood. I did it for 25 years straight. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, you got to be in the game somehow, somewhere. Sure. You know, getting on to the pro day experience. Yeah which is a former coach of mine from the Minnesota Vikings, Dean Dalton. He put this together. Dean has so many. I'll, I'll come back to you when we do this next thing we're going to do. And it's Let's gonna, go. It's going to blow your mind what we're doing next. But this pro day experience is we're taking kids, we're bringing them into a camp, and we're teaching them all about sports technology and jobs and everything they can do in the arena of sports besides being the athlete on the court or on the field. Because, Santana, you said it earlier, right? You don't have to be that guy out there. You can be mm-hmm. involved in this great team that you love or the sport that you love in different ways. 
right? You might be the person that's taping the ankle. You might mm-hmm. be the person that's paying them. You might right. be the person that's running the team. So we're showing them all these other things that they're they can phenomenal. do. And it's amazing because these kids come and they're learning our partner is Microsoft. And so this pro day experience for these kids is amazing. Microsoft's coming in and teaching them how to code how to do robotics. They have a new halo lens out. They put it on all the kids. And the last one we did was at Arizona Cardinals practice facility. Mm-hmm. And it was just a great day. We were there all day. Luis and Dejas, he's their guy out there. He helped us through the whole thing. We had 500 kids. We had major sponsors, but it was just a great day. And this year in 2019, we plan to take it to about 16, 17 new NFL cities and give kids a different experience from NFL. And we bring NFL players. So if you came Santana, we'd give you a group of kids. You take them through the whole day, and you stay with them. And, you know, they get to be with you. They get to hear from you. You mm-hmm. get to give them life lessons. Wow. But also we're teaching them everything else. And so it's wow. a great That's experience dope, for the kids. That's, awesome. That's dope. I think it's so dope because, you know, we grew up, especially in some of our neighborhoods that we grew up in, and you hear about being the athlete. You hear about the only way you can make it is being the athlete. And it's a lot of kids you see from day one that they don't have the tools to be you or be those guys, those special few that make it as far as some of us have made it. And just to hear you giving them a different outlet, something else to look at. Back then, we didn't have that. So kudos to you guys for showing them another way, showing them something more. And I believe a lot of these people will make it and and have further, you know, careers yeah. than some of those athletes because, you know, when you play this game, it's not for long. So then you're going to have to have another career. If you teach them something now, even if you are the athlete, even if you are that guy to go out there and play a stint in, you know, whatever profession you want to tap into, learning something before then can be there for you to tap into once you leave the game. I think it's so important, too, that these kids still continue to play sports. Mm -hmm. Sports teach you so much. Oh, you're right. But then you can go into the media. You can go into different areas of the game, analytics, all those things that are so big that there's so many jobs out there Mm -hmm. and so many different professions that these kids can go into. And you're right, Santana. And we try to bring, you know, kids that are from disenfranchised communities and try to bring them in and teach them, like, look, you can be the athlete. Mm -hmm. You may be the 1%. But you can also be the other percentage that are working in all these jobs, Mm, right? Because there are jobs out there for you. So listen, for the holiday season, before we get into It's a Wonderful Life, Gus Verratt edition here, because we're going to get into his life story. Did you have anything else you want to plug? Winning Profile by Dr. Gary Russell. Mm-hmm. I'm a consultant with them, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna. I have to read this because I haven't okay. memorized. He it showed yet. this to me earlier. But, it's mind blowing. So, statistically speaking, if you're listening to this, you're not an NFL quarterback. I'm listening. If you <laughs> are, if you are, good for you. But statistically, you don't exist. Mm-hmm. This is for the rest of you. Statistically speaking, you've never run an organization worth billions of dollars. Think about that. Right. There's not many. No. Okay. Been working with some guys lately, a company called Winning Profile. This is really changing my way of thinking about performance and talent. It's something I wish I had while I was playing. Truly it is, because Gary changed my life when I went through his profile. And it's all about if you know the guys that you're with and you know what they're all about and what makes them tick, you're going to win. Okay? So people don't come with instruction manuals. We're all different. We all come from different backgrounds. He grew up different than I grew up. I grew mm-hmm. up in the woods in Pennsylvania, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. You grew up down in Miami, Miami. right? Yeah. So it's a different background. And we don't come with manuals. Yeah. How do I deal with Santana? Right. How yeah. do I deal with that? And you got to figure that out. And so the key is to this is for companies and teams to stop losing. We think of it as losing as I just lost a game. Companies think of it as I lost 
employees. I'm losing money. Right. Right. I'm losing job performance. People aren't coming to work. Why? I got to start winning. Right. And so that's what this really is about is if you know those people and if you know what they're about, you're going to start winning. Because if you can bring your team together, whether it's a football team, FedEx, mm-hmm. if yep. it doesn't matter who the Goldman Sachs, it doesn't matter what kind of team it is. If you bring that team together and they're all in the same for the same reason, you're going to win. And so we're not telling you that you're going to win, but we're going to show you who wants to win. That stands out to me because yeah. I remember in my NBA class, we did something on this, forgot the guy name, mm-hmm. but he's supposed to be one of the wealthiest business owners. And I'm not sure if he's either in Japan or mm-hmm. Dubai, but his logic to his workplace was be fun, creative, and he wanted everyone to learn every job. The work atmosphere was, man, they had wacky Wednesday. They had this day Friday. They had this day Thursday. But you were they learning. They played games. But no one stayed doing the same thing the entire year. Wow. You learned everything from ground up. You still got paid your check, but you learned every job. You actually changed jobs. I don't know if it was weekly or monthly. His rate of what he got back from yeah. his workers and the money he made, wealthy as crap. He also never paid himself. Always paid his employees. His business is worth billions, almost billions, and he never paid himself yet. So well, I'm going to look that up, but that sounds familiar to what you profile. just preached. So what he did, he went to Giant Eagle, which is the largest grocery chain in Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. right? They're a huge grocery store. So he went in and profiled. He said, I want your top 20 store managers, and I want your bottom 20 store managers. I'm going to profile them. I'm going to find out why they're different. Right. So he profiles them. He says, okay, here's what I found out. Now here's what I want them to do. He coached them to do all the same thing. So in six months, he made Giant Eagle an extra million and a half dollars by by doing what you just said, profiling their managers to work with their employees to make them better, to make them want to come to work. So if you're running a store and you don't talk to your employees and you don't care about them and you don't show them anything, I don't want to go to work, right? But if you have somebody that cares about you, talks to you, asks you how you're doing today – uh, I'm going to go to work. I feel pretty good about going to work. Man, I'm getting a lot of quarterback oh. vibes from this side oh. of the table right now, Tanner. Oh. I'm ready to go run through a wall for Gus Farrant right now, Tanner. I'm you, man. Man. You, you right now, 100 some plus yards in the first quarter. Wait. Ain't been done. Ain't been done, Tanner. All right, I want to start with this. <laughs> I don't know about you, Tanner, but in my lifetime, and I've said this to Gus before, every time I meet someone and get to know someone from that Pennsylvania, that Pittsburgh area, right? They're always tough as nails. Yeah. Always. I don't know if it's an Iron City beer. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Something in the water. They're always tough as hell, man. Yeah. And so for me, you know, I, I've asked them this before, but just your upbringing and growing up, you tell some great stories, too, about your dad, your old man, God rest his soul, and how he raised you. Why is it? Everyone from that area is just tough as nails, Gus. It's blue-collar mentality, man. Our dads were mill guys. They were hard workers. They didn't miss a beat. You know, you didn't see your dad because he was working all the time. You know, mm-hmm. and, and and the thing about it is they just made – my dad was one of 15 kids, and you had to be tough. You had to be tough growing up in that family. He was in the military. He worked in PPG for 42 years. I've seen my dad take a chainsaw across his forearm, wrap a cloth around it, and say, I'll go to the hospital when we're finished with the job. And so you just get that mentality growing up, like, yeah, it may be hurt, it may be tough, but we're going to finish. That's the mentality a lot of quarterbacks, a lot of players come from in western Pennsylvania. You know, it's never going to be easy, and you got to fight for everything you get. I mean, I broke my neck in ninth grade playing football. I crushed the fourth vertebrae. 
I tackled somebody with my head down. I'm like, I'm never playing never this game again. That. Never playing this game again. My dad said, you're going back out there. I didn't actually play, but I went and supported the team. I did things with the team. And lo and behold, in 11th grade, I started playing quarterback. Never played quarterback before. I started playing quarterback in 11th grade. Didn't play defense that year. My senior year, started playing defense and playing quarterback and just, you know, changed my life. Wow. Interesting. Well, you were tight with Curtis Martin, who's from that area, I was too, get to bro. That. Curtis Martin, you heard the Reeves story. Yep. A few more guys from that area. I mean, you know, those guys from that area, they are a different breed. And you wonder why. But when you look up their backgrounds, you look at how they were on the football field, there's no questioning, you know, why they like they are because of the way they bring it in their sport. So just to know that you're from that area, man, that's interesting. Just hearing your story, that's what's up, man. Yeah. That's dope. So, Gus, I've told you this before, too. So growing up in my house, Redskins, Die hard, both parents, right? And obviously, you've given me a ton of great memories in my lifetime before we ever met. But I always tell the story about how my dad went ape, you know what, mm-hmm. because he was sick and tired of Heath Schuler as quarterback, <laughs> and he would scream, put Farad in the game. And there was all kinds of foul language that I'm not going to say on this podcast, okay? <laughs> Farad gets in, boom, he balls my dad forever. Loves this, man. Wow. So take me back to that time in your life. Were you buying your time? Did you know you would get a shot eventually? I had no idea. I just knew I had to make the team. That's a fair. I'm seventh-round pick. Got to do everything I can to make the football team. Make the football team third-string quarterback, right? I'm doing everything. I'm doing special teams and practice. Just Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. I'm throwing every, you know, after practice, working on my craft. Lo and behold, Heath is hurt. John Freeze plays one week, and then the next week, Norv Turner just says, okay, it's my first year. We're just going to try this kid out, see what he got. So we're going to go play the Indianapolis Colts, Harbaugh, quarterback, Marshall Fox, a running back, right? So we're going to Indianapolis, and, and that Wednesday we come in, and Norv goes in front of the whole team. He said, all right, guys, we're going to make a change of quarterback. Gus is going to be the quarterback. That's the first time I heard that. So there's my opportunity now that, that I've been working so hard for. So – Obviously, when you're when you're 22, and you got an opportunity like that, everything just nerves start flowing. Then all of a sudden, it's the media, mm-hmm. DC's massive media, and it just keeps piling on all week. And get to the game, and just had a really good game. Threw my uh, first touchdown to James Jenkins. It was a tight end, little stick route, and uh, threw four touchdowns that day. It just went on a roll. Obviously, Heath was the first round pick, so they got to give him another shot. Right. I played four games that year. Heath comes back plays a bunch of games, and the next year they're like, we're going to open it up for competition. (laughs) Can't ask for anything more than that. Mm -hmm. And as a seventh-rounder going against a first-rounder, my job is just just do what you've been doing right? right? because something's working. And that's all I ever did was just try to work hard, do the things that I need to do. You let the chips fall where they may. Being in that spot, being a backup, and we talked a lot about how was it for me? I had 14, over 14 quarterbacks throughout my career. 14 years, 14-plus quarterbacks. I think I had 15. But I don't think I counted Colt McCoy. And I played my last year with Colt. So he might be the oddball out that I didn't count. But with all that said, I shared with Travis about the difference of getting adjusted to different quarterbacks. You have left arm, right hand, whatever you want to call it. And you just got to get accustomed to if it's hard, if they're going to be a guy that has soft touch, Accurate or not, what is it like for a quarterback to come off the bench and have to get acclimated into offense with the 
guys that you haven't really been practicing with in practice. Mm-hmm. Is it something different to you, or is it just like, hey, find these guys where they're going to be at, watch film, or throw the spots? How hard is it for you? Because I know how hard it was for me getting adjusted to those guys, quarterbacks-wise. It, it is difficult. So there's a couple things that you got to do. You got to take as many scout team reps as you can, and you got to go. What Daryl Green taught me when I was a rookie was the best thing ever happened to me. Daryl Green said, look, you're not making yourself any better by throwing to the circle guy the coach has circled mm. on the scout team play, right? He said, you're not making me any better by throwing to the circle guy. He said, read the defense, throw it to who you got to throw it to because you're a quarterback. That's what you got to do. You got to read the defense, throw it to the open guy. He said, and play it like it's a game every day. Mm. And and he said, look, if they come and say something to you, just come see me. We'll wow. take care of it. Wow. So D Green. OG. D Green. Dope. Yeah, yeah, it is. It really is. I mean, think about that. Yeah. Scout team, Trust they me. just circle to throw it to this guy. And yeah. it's it's cover two, and they want you to throw deep. And like, you get killed for that. Yeah, then, <laughs> then you know, then you're you're teaching yourself bad habits mm-hmm. and all those things are happening. So you gotta take the scout team reps and you gotta play it like a game. And then the other thing you gotta do is is when you get a chance in practice to throw you routes versus air mm-hmm. and maybe some seven on seven, you gotta take it serious. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. may not want to go hard. That's when the veterans got to step up and say, no, he needs to go hard because if he doesn't and we don't get the timing and if our starter gets hurt, then the timing is bad. But you got to get those reps so that you've thrown a comeback or a yeah. dig or whatever the offense you're in. You right. know, Randy Moss was different. He'd just say, I'm going to throw my hand up. And I'd say, okay, I'm going to throw as far as I can. Mm-hmm. You know, because <laughs> we played Detroit. He did that like twice. Wow. He, wow. You know, he just had that. He, he was allowed to do whatever. And you get down to goal line, he had a, we had all our signals, and you could throw them whatever you wanted. Let's get into that, because you play with some absolute titans of this game. Moss, a young Adrian Peterson. Yeah, Ed McCaffrey, Rod Smith, oh Henry God. Ellard. Oh. When I was in Cincinnati, I played with some, you know, Chad Johnson. Shoot, names you probably don't. Peter Warwick. Oh, TJ. Pushmanzada. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Denver, you know, with Ed and Rod. I mean, they were great. When I played in Detroit, yeah. I was with Herman Moore. I remember um, Herman Moore. Johnny Morton. Johnny Morton. Um, Jermaine Crowell. Yeah. You know, we invented a route there. Nobody's really done this before, and that was the only place we really did it was it was an inside release go route. Okay. But we weren't throwing it like a fade. We were throwing it on a line. Not really like a bang eight, but mm-hmm. sort of like that, where he's staying straight down the field because what happens when he inside release, the, the defender sometimes would, yeah. he'd either trail him or he'd back off a little bit. Right. And so we were throwing not even a three-step, five-step, and I'm drilling it on him. <laughs> and Jermaine caught five touchdowns that year just from that, how we made that up. And I think I remember seeing that and wondering, like, how they how do, they that? do that? Because we always were told that if you're in a slot, you release outside or you wide them enough and cut, then you get right? back to your lane. So, wow. So, yeah, so we did it from the outside and, and short side of the field mostly. But, you know, it was just so fun when you would get with guys who wanted to change things. Like, I remember when my first year with Norv, he said, we're going to throw a seven stop. I'm like, seven stop? What's mm. that? I don't know why, but mentally that was tough for me. And we kept trying to throw it. And I just somehow I couldn't get it right. But then I went to Detroit the year after, and I go to Detroit, and they said, it's not, we, we don't call seven stop. We just throw it to his back shoulder. Oh, made it so much easier, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're running a corner route, yeah. I just throw it at the back of your head. You just turn around and catch around it and in catch the window. Wow. Yeah. It made it so much easier for me. When you talk about making guys tick and what they're all about, how right. they understand things, I've been through that so many times. Different terminologies. When you see AP now and what he's doing with the Redskins, because you were with him when he was a pup, 
Pop, pop, pop. What, what goes through your mind, Gus? Strongest grip ever. Did you ever shake his hand? No. Have you ever you? shake I his hand? I pound him. I saw yeah, him. Yeah, 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 yeah. shake. <laughs> What's up, boy? How you doing? You ain't fall for it. I ain't fall oh, for it. <laughs> I go to the Vikings. They want me to come up and be behind Tavares Jack. I'm 38 yeah. years old, right? I'm going to go help T-Jack out. So I'm in the hall. They said, oh, this is Adrian Peterson. And I said, hey, Adrian, how you doing? I almost went down on one knee. He <laughs> Come ripped on, your hand so hard. He's a man's man. I mean, the stories I used to hear about him working out from Oklahoma. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know how many stories you've heard about him yeah, working Trent out. Trent tells no. a lot about him. He used to take 90-pound dumbbells and do box jumps with them. <laughs> He's insane. You know, yeah. That's why he came back from two ACLs. Yeah, no wonder. So, Adrian, and I, we were playing the Packers, right? And we're in Minnesota. We got to have a drive. We're down four points. We got to score a touchdown to win. And we're going to win. I mean, we just got to have a nice drive. I turned to Adrian in the huddle and I said, Look, I'm throwing it to you every time. <laughs> I said, I don't care what they're doing downfield. <laughs> they're not covering you. I'm going to throw it to you every time. He said, Let's roll. So five plays in a row threw him the ball. He was wore it, gassed. The last one I remember, he broke a tackle on like the eight yard line, right in the end zone, scored, scored wow. a win. But, you know, that's the kind of thing. When you have those kind of players, yeah. you got to rely on them. My job is to get it to the playmakers. I imagine Moss was like that. That was a different freak, huh? Yeah, right? that's just a different. I mean, he had a bad back. I'm playing in Detroit. Dante gets hurt. I come in as the backup, right? First play, we call some slant thing, and Randy goes, I'm putting my hand up. I'm getting on the safety. It's covered too. And I don't throw, throw it, it to up. him. I don't throw it to him. He comes back in the huddle. He was so pissed. Probably cursed you out. Huh? He cursed me out. He said, look, I don't care what we call. Call whatever protection you want. I'm getting on the safety in three steps. I'm putting my hand up, throw it up. Damn. I said, all right. Cover two. Goes inside the corner, right on the safety, throw it up. You know, 60 yards later, he had a bad back, so he kind of caught it, and the guy caught up to him because even then he was faster than the DB. Uh-huh. And even in cover two, those DBs don't think that yeah, they're running past yeah. him. So I just threw it up. <sighs> but that's how he was, you know, and when you get to, like, Think about all the guys that threw him a touchdown. I was one of 14 guys that threw him a touchdown. Right. You know, not Dante, but the before him. Johnson? No, before Brad. Randall? Yeah, Randall. Oh, yeah. Randall, Randall, Randall Cunningham, right? When Randy was young, I mean, yeah, just he was watching him. Just, man. Randall just, I mean, his stride. Just he up. just launched that thing, man. Yeah. And, Arms just, over bad, man. Yeah, it was pretty amazing to play with him. That's crazy. That was the first NFL jersey I ever got. I was in college, and... Randy had just left. I was probably getting into my prime, and he had just left. So I was probably my junior or my sophomore year, and he was in the NFL. And I remember I had a wager with a girl in my class, and we had a wager. She bet me something, and I'm like, you know what? If I win, she wanted a jersey of mine. So right. if I win, I want a Randy Moss jersey, wow. authentic. And she was like, well, that's too expensive. I was like, well, find a way to get it to if I win. And I won the wager and she didn't give it to me. And all of a sudden, Christmas or something, a birthday pops up. She comes to school with it like, I had to get it, you know. Wow. But that was my first jersey. And he was, and think about it. I'm a mall season yeah, mall. Your so name, yeah. I was glued to the screen it's watching awesome. this. Man, his first year was unbelievable. And just, I just saw him play, you know, in college and the things mm-hmm. he did his last year in college with Chad Pennington, seeing some of that stuff. Yep. So I'm sitting there like, man, this guy's phenomenal to step on that He's stage, the NFL, and yeah. dominate the way he did his rookie season. The best catch I ever saw him make was in practice. Oh, I bet. Mm-hmm. So we were up in training camp. It was like a deep corner. And Dante throws it to him, but the corner's outside. 
but he's running the corner out, right? And you're looking outside shoulder like this, and Dante throws it inside. Randy doesn't even turn his head. He goes like this. Catches <laughs> it. Like, and the sick. whole place just stopped. Yeah, sick. Everybody's like, what did we just watch? Sick, man. Didn't even turn his head. Like, he just oh reached back like this, God. caught it, tap, toe-tapped in the end zone, and dropped the ball and walked back. He was so competitive, man. We used to play dominoes every morning. Me, him, and Matt Burke, and Sean Hill was another quarterback. We'd be in the equipment room, mm-hmm. and we had a table in there. Mm-hmm. We played dominoes, and he was just competitive. Whether it was dominoes or throwing in a corner in a bucket, we played that game all the yeah. time. He, <laughs> he just loved there. to compete. Yeah. Here's That's something I, I always want to ask as a fan. To me, quarterback controversies have been around since football's been around, right? And I always wondered what it's like in those rooms when it's you and the other guy who's competing for a job. As someone who's been a part of that type of situation your whole career, quite frankly, what is it like? Is it a friendly competition? Are you looking at the other guy like, I'm going to take you out? Do you guys talk? Is it a camaraderie? May the best guy win the job? What is it like inside of a quarterback controversy? Well, for Heath and I, we didn't really talk a lot. We were very different. My second year, I got married after my rookie year. So I was married. I had a family. I was just on a different plane than he was. And, you know, and he's a first-round pick, and he's got everything, and I'm yeah. pulling up behind, right? So we didn't have a lot of things in common. And uh, when you're in those meetings, yeah, you're kind of copacetic. You're sitting there, but it wasn't like we were great friends or anything. So we did what we had to do, you know, and we both knew we wanted that job and we were going to do whatever it took. We weren't going to be mean about it. We weren't going to say things about each other. That's not how you get things done. And that's not good for the team either. But then, you know, I go to situations like in Denver when I'm competing with Brian Greasy, I'm learning the West Coast system, never been in it before. Shanahan system, right? Mm -hmm. I've never been in it before. So it's a lot of stuff to learn. All right. So I'm like, hey, Brian, can you help me out? What's it? No. Crickets. No. Crickets, right? Didn't want to help me. So I go to Rod Smith because Rod Smith was the best note taker I've ever seen. Sit in the front. He had five highlighters every meeting, every meeting. Rod's been in the system forever. Every meeting, highlighting, 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 knew everything. I said, hey, Rod, can you help me out? What are we thinking here? He'd tell me. Rod was great with that, right? Because I went to a new system. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've thrown double. Everybody's thrown double slants, but Mike wanted them a certain way, you know, and do different things, and that was all new for me. And so, when you get in a controversy, it depends on the person, and you got to learn about that other person really quick. Is he going to help me? Is he going to be a, somebody who's very negative towards me? Or are we going to get along? Because we get along, it's great. Because for me, it was all about winning. Right, if we win, we all do better. I knew the answer to that though, because you gotta understand something about a quarterback. A quarterback, if I win this job, I'm right. the guy. Yeah. Unless I'm hurt, unless I just go out there and stink up the place, I'm the guy. As a receiver, if you'd ask me that question, I would tell you that there's receivers out there that might play that role and not help out. Right. But they know at the end of the day, worst case scenario, I'm gonna play. Just might not be out there as much as I was. A quarterback, you're not playing. You're not playing. You're not star. You're not playing. So. I can only imagine how most of the quarterbacks are. They don't want to give that secret away. They might be rooting for you, but it's not something that they no. really, you know, want to let you know. They just right. probably like, hey, you know, if you make it, you make it. You beat me, you beat me. But I'm not trying to help you take, you know, my livelihood from me. For me, coming from a backup standpoint, right, I always had to be supportive a lot of times, right? And then all of a sudden you're competing 
for the starting job at a, at a different place. And so it takes on a different personality. Right. right. You have to go from being supportive because you're the backup mm-hmm. to now, like in my when I went to Miami, I'm competing with AJ Feely. Right. I'm like, oh, this dude's not beating me. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and you got to change. You got to flip the switch. Got to flip the switch. You know, but in the same regard, when somebody else comes in, like I got a concussion. London Fletcher hit me on the chin. Mm. Got a concussion. You know, I'm out for two weeks. I'm supportive of the next guy. Like, hey, you know, I want I want us to win. You know, this is important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of different ways you can look at it. You bring up Miami. You played for a guy named Nick Saban. Mm. Give me that Nick Saban story. And then on the back end of that, I ask, do you think he'll ever come back to the NFL as a head coach? Well, I'll answer the the last part first. I don't think he'll ever come back because why would he? He's had so much success at Alabama and in college. And didn't have much in the NFL. Mm -hmm. Because the way that Nick coaches, and to get to your first part, the way that Nick coaches is to be about, I'm the king here. And you're going to do what I tell you no matter who you are, no matter what you are. And when you got people on your team like Junior Seau, Zach Thomas, Jason Taylor, and you try to do that to them, it's not going to work out well for you. Because I'll I'll give you an example. We're into two days, first two a day. And it's hot in Miami. We're all out there practicing hard, and nobody cares about practicing hard. We love the work. So he brings us in after the first practice. There were eight of us that were team leaders, and I made a captain that year, and I, was, I just got there. And so he brings us in, and he says, so what do you guys think of practice? And, you know, everybody, Rand McMichael, everybody, we're all yeah. junior. We're all we're like, Coach, we love the hard work. We love the hard work. We ask you one thing. And he's like, oh, what do you guys want? Junior was like the one who talked for us, right? So Junior goes, we just want to take our helmets off when we stretch. That's all we asked. Small. Because we did like an active stretch over and back, and then right. when we did our static stretch. It's hot. It's hot. You just want to get that break right before yeah. you go work. Yeah. So he goes, okay. So we go out to the next practice, afternoon practice. So we do our active stretch back and forth. We get there. Junior goes. Everybody's watching Junior, right? He takes his helmet off, puts it aside. Everybody else does it. And Nick loses it. I didn't say you could take your helmets on. Put your helmets back on. And right there, he lost a little bit of the team. Yeah. Is it really, was it really that much to like worry about? A little bit. Yeah. And he agreed to to it. Well, he didn't. He just probably necessarily just agreed. Yeah, he right. just said, he probably you know, took it in, like right. listening. But Junior, right, who was our leader as, sure. a, veteran, yeah, as, as a, a veteran and, and a legend that everybody looked up yep. to, he might not have been the player that he once was. Sure. But everybody looked up to him and he lost. Junior liked that. Oh. And Junior, just him and Junior fought all the time. And Nick had great ideas on defense. We did a lot of good things. But just some things that happened, too, that I saw down there that, that were very tough to deal with. Mm. You know, And I think that's what made it hard for Nick in the NFL. I talk about this time and time again because I've been in those meeting rooms. Sure, Gus have, too. And the quarterback's probably not the guys you worry about the most. But I've been in meeting rooms with knuckleheads. It's mm-hmm. hard to coach divas. They call the receiver position the diva position. And if you are alpha as a coach like a Nick Saban and you got right. a bunch of alphas on your team, rather, regardless of what position it is, right. it's hard to get those guys to buy in to what you're trying to preach or what you're trying to let them know that's going to allow us to be the team that we're trying to be. So I understand what he's saying. And to me, the cottage level is best for those kind of coaches. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't know what Belichick is teaching over there and what he's doing and how he has brainwashed some of these guys to be the guys that they are because 
they bought in. I mean, it's some guys over there, like the guys that you see now that's being analysts that you wouldn't believe that he was able to coach. And even Brable, you know yeah. what I mean? Seeing what he's doing on the coaching it's side, coach, yep. knowing the player he was, he once was, all those guys, man. He had some great minds back right. there that he coached. Brewski, and yep. Brewski, all those guys that you watch now, the player that they was, how was he able to – Get those guys to buy in. Yeah. Then you look at a saving right. and say, well, how is he able to do that on the college level so gracefully, so great, and all his guys to be successful on this level but can't coach on this level the same well, way? I think for Belichick is if you don't buy in, I don't care who you are, you're not going to be here. Yeah. Right. Because we just saw him, like, who's the linebacker with the Browns yeah. that he cut? It was yeah. a first-round draft pick. Yeah. 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 It doesn't matter to That's him. the same way it was with Shanahan. Because Shanahan, I told you the story yep. about Shanahan. When he called me into his office to tell me he was going to put me as his slot receiver, to me, I thought that was a test because he just shared with us, I'm willing to cut our key guys if they're not willing to buy in. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden I get called in and he was like, Tanner, you're our best Z receiver. So I'm like, okay, coach, I'll tell you. But I want you to play slot. So I'm like, okay, slot in. Okay, I can play slot. I played both of you before. But no, I want you coming in on third downs only. Mm. (laughs) Is that going to be a problem? (laughs) (laughs) This is a test. I'm going to look at where the camera's at. Right. <laughs> I thought he was joking, but then again, he said, I believe that this is going to help us as a team and it's going to help your career. But I'm sitting there like, oh, man, like, man, I've been a starter for so long. I remember being that guy that just coming in and taking those third down reps. And don't get me wrong, I was productive, but that's, you know, and then he said something else. He's like, Tanner, we looked at your snaps. We were really throwing the ball to you enough for you to be out there so much at this age right? and in this time in your game. So I think it would be valuable for you to save your legs. All right, Coach, you got a point. Yeah. Because I've been that guy pissed off about it. So, But then I go back to it. If I said anything different or didn't take it, I'm cut. And I'm glad I'm the guy I am because I think that was my test. That was that test to say, you know what, Tanner might be the guy that I can say, you know what, he's good enough to still be on my team and have this role. But if he tells me, no, I'm cutting him, I really believe that. And, yeah, right. and he might tell you different. I don't know because I know I went out there with my hard hat every day, you know, whether it was practice or game. But he just told us the stories about he take pride in getting rid of guys who feel like they're bigger than the team. And and I know I've never been that guy, but I feel like that was my moment to try him, and I did the right thing yeah. by not trying him. Yeah, definitely. Mike's like that. I played for Mike. I went in. My contract was up. I went up to him, and I said, hey, look, Cincinnati – called. They want me to come be the quarterback. I love it here. My family loves it here. I have a lot of good friends in the two years I've been here. I said, I'd like to know what you think, right? And I asked, I gave him a question. He said, you got to do what you got to do. Wow. So right there, I I didn't have to, I didn't have to ask anything else. That's him. He didn't care enough for me to whether I was staying or not. Mm-hmm. So I just bolted. Yeah, I no bolted. Pe- My wife him. was pissed, but yeah. <laughs> you know, you gotta do what you gotta do. That's him though, because he's yeah. gonna give you the right answer. Really he's gonna honest. always tell you that do what's best for your family. That's right. You can like it over here all you want. If this situation ain't best for you, do what's best. And, no doubt. and he spoke and that's one of the reasons why I appreciate Mike because, you know, out of all the coaches other than, you know, I only had Gibbs and Mike that I really can say that don't get me wrong, I, lo- I loved all the coaches that I, I was able to be coached by. But when I say, when I had to pick the two that stood out the most as a skin, it was Gibbs once because he was a guy that he can get you to run through a wall from. Mm. And he wasn't a guy that was going to be cursing and fussing about it. He just showed you that this means business. He put us in situations that, you know, we had wet ball Fridays or 
when it's cold outside, it's red skin weather. Mm-hmm. Put two sweatpants on, let's go. He mind effed us a lot mm-hmm. to make us believe that whatever situation or circumstance, that was our circumstance. We play better in them circumstances. So I appreciate that because it worked. In those games, and I'm sitting there and my teeth clacking, and I'm mm-hmm. sitting there just red skin weather. I got to yep, make a play. Like, I, I made a play in practice in this weather. I got to go do it. Right. And then on the flip side of that, Mike Shanahan, he was a guy that he showed you, look, I'm going to let you be a man. I'm not going to tell you how to live your life. Enjoy it, but be ready between these white lines. Woo. And if I don't see you ready between these white lines, then we got to have a talk. And that right. talk is not going to be something that you want to go in that meeting room and talk to him about. So right. I appreciate that because – as a pro, you'd think that more coaches would take that step. Like, man, they pros. They're grown men with families and kids and wives, you name it. These guys have to be accountable for their actions regardless. Right. I shouldn't police these guys for They're their not actions. babysitting. Don't babysit us. You know, and it was coaches that tried to, hey, I need you guys to, we have a study here. And if you got to talk to guys like that, you wrong, and you gonna get the right guys on your team. Certain you guys don't have the cojones, guys. <laughs> you know yeah, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> and I'm like, man, like I was sitting in the meetings, like, well, coach, I'm not coming to that study, but who the hell you talking to, right. man? You talking to some infants in here? Like you gotta talk to them like that? Like so, you know, I'm not coming, but I'm gonna be right. Right. And I remember being put in one of them situations where a coach stepped to me on about something that I was doing, and, and I asked him first of all, oh, coach, hold on. Matter of fact, you ain't stepped to me, but you said something about something that I'm partaking in. Do you have a problem with my game? He looked at me like, like man to man. Oh no, nah, you're yeah. doing that, but I don't have no problem with you. Coach, that's all I want. But do you know who else? Nope, I don't know nothing about nobody else. I'm talking about me. I put my name on it. Right. But do you have a problem with what I'm doing on Sundays or whatever day that we go out there and play? No, but I just find it odd for you to be a part of that. I understand, coach, but I'm handling my business and kept walking. Wow. So you know, it's coaches that you have to understand. As coaches, you have to understand that there's going to be guys that they do things a little different. Mm-hmm. They wired a little different. Well, but as long I, as they out there on that field playing to what you want to see their level that's at, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. Well, that, that happened to me in Detroit. Charlie Batch and I were quarterbacks. Charlie got hurt. I ended up playing a lot. We made the playoffs, played the Redskins actually down here. Lost to them, but had a one-year deal. Go in, I'm thinking, okay, they're going to offer me something. I'm going to come sure. back. Go in, meet with Jim Zorn, who was my quarterback coach. Bobby Ross was the head coach. Uh, Sylvester Crooms was the offensive coordinator. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so uh, Jim calls me in his office, and he goes, I don't think we're going to resign you. But I just got offensive player of the year for you guys. Like, busted my ass, did everything I could. He goes, well, I think you fool around too much. I said, wait a second, Jim. <sighs> I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, you're always playing in the locker room and messing with the guys and stuff. Mm. And I said, do I not produce when I'm out in the field? He goes, well, there was that one throw. I'm like, one throw? I said, I give you everything I got when I'm on the field and in practice. And then when I try to lighten things up in the locker room to make us more of a team, sure. you're getting mad at me for that? Wow. And he said, well, I just don't think you're the player that we need. That's uh, that was, that, it wasn't because of my play on yeah, the field. Bogus. It was because Shh. he thought that I'm a jokester, right? Yeah, I like right. having fun in the yeah. locker room. That was our space. Yeah. Right. That's our space. And whether you think it or not, when guys – play pranks with people, and you yeah. get everybody involved, you become a family. Brings them together. You bring it all together. Like in St. Louis, we had a little equipment guy, um, little Johnny, right? Mm-hmm. He's the guy that used to take your cart around and put your hang your clothes back up and all that in your lockers. And he used to pick on me all the time. I said, Johnny, I'm coming down. And he had a disability. And I said, I'm coming down throwing you in a cold tub. 
<laughs> he goes, oh, yeah, whatever. I mean, he kept picking on me. He kept doing stuff to my locker and my clothes. Right. I said, I'm coming down from meetings today, and you better be ready, <laughs> and I'm throwing you in the cold tub. So I come down. I had all the guys line up, <laughs> make like a tunnel to the cold tub, right. which was right by the locker room in, in St. Louis. And I said, get in the car, Johnny. He was already. He's in the car. He, he goes, you'll never do it. I took that cart right into the cold tub. <laughs> Everybody's standing around. He gets up out of the cold tub. His face is crazy. And I said, I told you I was going to do it. Quit uh-huh. messing with me. And no, the whole team was around and like they're yelling his name, you know. That's but, cool. But that was my way of bringing us all together, yeah, right. Yeah. right? Because it's hard to, for people from different backgrounds right. to mm-hmm. try and like sit down and say, okay, you're totally different. You know, we right. all have a different language. We all do different things and we're all about different things. But right. I try to bring us together, together in a different mm-hmm. way. Because it's so separate. It's so no divided doubt. in those no locker rooms. People don't know that. You watch us play on Sundays and whatever day you're watching these games, and you're like, man, that team went out there and performed together. But if you actually had to be in some of those locker rooms, right. you would see the division. You would see guys that if you're a guy that don't go out and you into the family life, you're over there. they over there in yep. the huddle. If you're a guy, you're a Christian guy, and yep. you go to Bible study, I was going to every Bible study, but I wasn't going to church on a regular. And right. I didn't feel like I was no different from the guy who was, uh, you know, a Christian or who went to church, you mm-hmm. know, all the time. Mm-hmm. I didn't grow up that way, but mm-hmm. I wanted the word. And those guys will turn their backs on you, and you say, we a team. So, you know, I, I get that because folks don't realize why certain things are successful. Yeah. Because what he just shared, he's telling you, like, look, I'm going to be that guy that, you know what, regardless of what your background is, what you do, what you partake in outside of this locker room, while we here, we brothers. Right. We're going to have fun together. Yep. Frank Wright just said it in the press conference after his last mm-hmm. game. He said, look, it's all about the guys in the locker room, and it right. starts in the locker room. But if that locker room doesn't get along, it ain't going to happen. Yeah. Wow. Right? All the great teams, the Bills, right? My cousin played for the Bills on those four Super Bowls. Wow. And those guys did everything together. Wow. Right? Jim Kelly was a ringleader. Yeah. He, if you didn't go somewhere where Jim told you to go, then right. he was going to get pissed at you. But wow. he included everybody on that team. Wow. Right? And that's why they were so tight, and that's yeah. why they played so well together. Mm. All right, let's do taking L's. Mm. Gus is going to take it this week, Tanner. <laughs> oh, man. So I always said if I met Wait, Gus let me, let me get a drink. And, yeah. we, <laughs> and we get a chance to interview him, I'm going to let him tell his story of the headbutt on the wall. Please do. Please, sir, the floor is yours. So it's a year where we're having some difficulties with the Redskins, and Norv and I and, and um, Mike Martz came in. He was the quarterback coach, and, and we were having some kind of problems, right? We weren't mm-hmm. getting along great. It's the whole thing we've been talking about all the whole podcast. So we're playing the Giants, which is obviously a big rival for the mm-hmm. Redskins. We're in the Giants, and it just felt like so much pressure on me, right? Yeah. Just all this weight on my shoulders and everything. And we drive the ball down, run a touchdown in, and I'm just like, it's all gone, right? You're just in that moment. You, you finally, yeah. all the hard work you put in and getting the coaches off your back, you score a touchdown, and I just continue running right through the end zone, <laughs> right to the wall. And so I'm just like, okay, I'm just going to jump off the wall, just mm-hmm. like, you know, just right. run into it. And I don't know what I was thinking, but when I came, my head went forward, hit the wall, turned around, and was, you know, I got a stinger. From, oh. from doing that. I mean, uh, I'm a quarterback. I don't right. hit anybody. And then I turn around, and Jamie Asher, who was my tight end, slaps me right inside of the head. Uh, like right after that happened, and I'm like, all right, this does not feel good. I'm wow. over on the bench, and I'm like, okay, you know. Like and woozy. I'm like, I'm like, well, no, I wasn't woozy. I didn't get a concussion or anything. I was just like, God, this is just stiff. killing me. Like uh. I got to start getting stiffened up. And it was my, if it was my left shoulder, I would have been able to play. Yeah. 
So didn't play, you know, obviously they was like, oh, he broke his neck and had all these problems and none of that. So they take me, they made a big deal out of everything. Come back and, you know, Norv wants to fine me $10,000 for what? Con- conduct detrimental to the team. What? And um, this is the next day I'm in, I'm in meetings. I'm fine. I play the next week, right? So, and obviously all the media stuff and it's playing yeah. everywhere. And, and you just got to learn, if you think about dealing with adversity, and I tell people all the time, I said, look, I played five years and dealt with the worst adversity I've ever had in my life, besides a member of my family dying or something sure. like that, and was able to go on and play another 10 years. People don't understand how hard that was, right, that I was in one of the major sports markets in the world and had that happen to me in front of, I think it was the biggest game. It was in front of like 65 million people or something saw wow. it. And it's on ESPN every week. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm sure you can catch it anytime yeah. you want. They play and it over and the over. junkies, you know, obviously put <laughs> yeah. it on every time I'm on their show. But it, it's just the adversity that I had to go through getting through that. And then not only dealing with myself, but dealing with my family, my mm-hmm. wife, my kids, mm-hmm. everybody always saying something about it. Yeah. So there's two ways to handle that. And my upbringing was I'm the underdog. I'm always going to work hard. I don't care what happens to you. And the next play is the most important play. Yeah. And so that's kind of the mentality I went with it. People are going to say to you yep. all the time, tell you you suck, tell you you're not good, you shouldn't be on the team. People tweet it at you. People say stuff. And so if you listen to them, that's what you're going to be. Exactly. Right? And mm-hmm. I never listened to that stuff. Yeah. Even though I knew probably was the end with the Redskins. Yeah. But I was going to start a new chapter in my mm-hmm. life and keep moving That's on. That's cool, man. And the way I look at it is it's no different than when you leave football. Right. you got to start a new chapter. So it taught me a lot on how to deal with all these things. And, you know, people can be nasty. He took an L. Wow. Took that was L, my L, man. That was dub, a big L. But he, he got a dub out of it. He got a dub out of it. You got a dub out of it. From it you know? But I, I still take an L. Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> probably it's, it's, yeah, every show I come on or whatever, <laughs> I'm always taking an L. So I got to turn it into a dub, yeah, right? Yeah, you know, but that's the first time take. me hearing a story, like, you know, from his perspective yeah. of it. And trust me, I was the guy on the outside looking in. I was in New York, I believe, at the time. And yep. the first thing we heard was, like, you broke your neck right. doing that. Oh, uh, media went like, nuts. He yeah. broke his neck. The media I said, did he not nuts. check the wall to make sure it was soft enough? <laughs> Who knew what went on with that? But that just goes to show you a prime example of someone taking something so small yeah. and blowing it up out of proportion. And then it caused you to, you know, a little, you know, especially a person that has to deal with that for the, the entirety of his life. I can't believe they find them you know, for that. And then they wanted to. You he know, wanted to. That's, that's, crazy. But, that's you know, crazy. And that goes back to the whole winning profile thing, right? Yeah. It's like. Okay, when a guy is down or is having pressure, what do you do? Do you make it worse for him? Right. You know, and, and I learned so much. And, and I had to learn this personally with my son because he wanted to play quarterback. And I was coaching him how my dad used to yell at me, right? Mm-hmm. And it was tough. Like, growing up with my dad was tough. Like, mm-hmm. it was never about what you did right. It was about what you did wrong. And so I found myself with my son in ninth grade doing a lot of those same things with Gunner because he was a quarterback. Mm-hmm. And... um I said, look, I just came to my wife one night and I said, I got to change. He hated playing quarterback because of that. Mm-hmm. And I said, I don't want to lose my relationship with him because I'm being an ass. Right. You know, and I look back at what happened with me is like, if you have somebody that is down, do you make it worse for him because you don't like the way he's playing? Mm-hmm. Sure. Or do you try to bring him out of it and become his friend yeah. and do things that help him? I feel like I didn't get that from the coaching staff when I was at the end wow. with the Redskins. Man, what a podcast, no Tanner. No doubt. Gus brought it. 
Man, Santana Mars Show Podcast. Gus, thank you, brother. All right, thanks for having me on. Merry Appreciate Christmas you. to you too, man. No <laughs> yeah. doubt. Santana Mars Show Podcast. Happy Hanukkah, my brother. Happy <laughs> holidays to everybody. Peace. It's a Santana Mars Show. Number 89, hustle all the time. Travis on the right, hot mic on the left. Every single week, it's a lyrical fact.